Hey everyone, welcome to the Couch GM Podcast. You can find the full video version of this podcast on YouTube, or you can listen to the audio version on whichever major podcast platform you prefer. Make sure to subscribe to the YouTube channel, and you can also find me on Instagram, TikTok, Twitter, and Facebook. Just search the Couch GM and you'll see my logo pop up. And with that, let's get into the podcast. All right, welcome to the Couch GM Podcast. This is a special episode. I have a little bit of an intro for our guest today. So I'm sitting here with uh, Texas native, 11-year Major League Relief pitcher with uh, 382 MLB games that you've pitched in. Uh, this is Mark Lowe, so thank you for taking the time no, today. Thanks for having me. Yeah. So just wanted to kind of start from the beginning and really hear your story from the start and with how you started out, how you got to where you are today. Yeah. No, I um, grew up small town in Texas, um, south side of Houston, and just love baseball from the moment I was born and um, just kind of powered through all the all the levels all the systems and was never you know a high caliber player that everybody knew about just kind of worked my way at each level and ended up on the biggest stage in the world yeah so starting with high school um, it sounds like you were getting up to around 90 in high school yeah I probably topped out 90 maybe 91 did they i don't even know if they had radar guns back then yeah <laughs> well and then they, and then they say that you know nolan ryan might have thrown 108 I'm yeah just, yeah we can get into it in a bit but you know the technology today compared to where it was back then um yeah you just never know yeah no it was um i mean our rule of thumb even playing was the hitters will let you know how you're throwing if they're late you're yeah. throwing hard if they're not then you're not throwing hard um but yeah, I went to college. I was, I mean, when I graduated, I was 6'3", 165. You know, hadn't really been on a training weight program and gained 20 pounds my freshman year in college and was lifting weights all the time and gained velo. So I was, yeah. I remember going in in my freshman summer in the Northwoods League throwing 96. So so was that mainly like lower half type weightlifting that you were doing or? It was everything. Because there's throwing programs um, that you might... Yeah, I mean, just core programs, okay. um, upper, lower, it was everything. And then just the fact of having to go in every day and playing catch and having a purpose and having a plan. Um, I never really had any kind of program like that. It was just, hey, let's go play catch or let's go hit some balls at the field. There was never just a true program of long toss or anything like that. Yeah. So you go to UT uh, Arlington. Yep. And you played three years there? Three years. Um, I actually played my freshman year. I redshirted my sophomore year, still trying to figure that out. Um, I had like a .8 ERA that Man. summer in Woodbat League and came back and they wanted to redshirt me. So no it made no, no sense whatsoever. Yeah. Um, but kind of like my personality, that was something that had to happen because I was just out to prove people wrong at that point. Yeah. Um, that's kind of been the story of my whole career. Yeah. And um, a blessing in disguise and powered through that and got drafted after my third year there. So fifth round to the Mariners. Yep. What was that experience like, getting getting the call? Man, um, sitting at the kitchen table, this is when we had dial-up internet. You know, it's not like it is now where <laughs> you get to go to uh, a football field and they set up a huge stage right. and, and you get drafted. And it's live-streamed. That's right. Stuff, yeah. yeah, there was none of that. It was... We're, so we were getting a couple phone calls. I think the Rockies called right before, and then 
the Mariners called right after the Rockies and goes, we're going to take you in the fifth. Are you going to sign? I was like, heck yeah, I'm going to sign. So then it came up on the uh, on the dial-up, and there was my name, and it was on my 21st birthday, actually. Really? Yeah. Good birthday gift. Yeah, it was pretty good. Yeah. Pretty good. So were you expecting that going into the draft, being in that in that kind of, uh, you know, spot in the draft? Yeah, I mean, there was, there was a lot. I mean, there was talks of as high as second or third round, you know, so you hear that, and then the second and third round goes, and you don't get picked, you get a little um, downhearted on it, but... Um, I mean, gosh, I would have gone in the 30th. I would have gone right. in the 40th. Um, yeah. I remember telling my college coaches at my exit meetings um, after the season, they're like, whatever you want to do when you come back, you can play center field for us. <laughs> I was like, if I go 50th round, I'm not coming back. Oh, yeah? You're done? Uh, I, was, I mean, that's yeah. my goal as a baseball player was to play pro baseball. Yeah. And, and who's to say you don't go back to school and you, you get hurt and you never have that opportunity. Sure. So. Um, I was taking it, and I was running with it, and just enjoying the experience. So you started with the Aqua Sox? I did. First first place I went, I, I got drafted, and we're kind of doing a little um, negotiation on signing bonus. And mm-hmm. It wasn't the slot like it is now where you get X amount of dollars, and yeah. you had a little wiggle room. Um, and I played a little summer league up until that point, I think in Dallas, and then went to the Aqua Sox right away. So they said cool. to keep playing so that when you signed, you didn't have to go to Arizona. Okay. And I was like, I'm not going to Arizona. I want to go play. Yeah. So that's what I did. So your first experience in uh, pro baseball, you know, what, what does what was your experience with the minor leagues? Um, I mean, my first year was just understanding that everybody there is ridiculous, <laughs> you know, because you go through all the levels, you know, amateur, you know, in college and you know, you think that you're one of the best. And then you get into pro ball and you realize everybody here is really good. Really, really good. And and then you just get this perspective on how do I, how do I get myself ahead of everybody? Because that's really what it ends up being. You know, these are your teammates, yet you're all going for the same goal, and that's to compete in the major leagues. And so you kind of have to match friendships with also, you know, you're trying to outdo your buddies. Yeah. You know, so it's kind of a weird dynamic, um, but you're all doing it together, and you all understand it. And I think yeah. anytime somebody were to get called up to the next level, everybody was pretty happy for you because they go through it every single day. And how was that progression for you from where you started to the next ranks of the minor leagues? Yeah, no, it was so it went it went fast for me because at the time the Mariners weren't very good, and I started in Low A, so I went short season in Everett. The following season, I went to uh, Appleton, Wisconsin for my first long season, and that was a long season. <laughs> and I started, and just my mentality, my personality, I wasn't a starting pitcher. And I think that I was there. They do that early with the young guy um, that they believe in to learn how to pitch. You know, you want those 150 innings to go through as many situations as you can because you can go in as a reliever and you can sneak through 40 innings, you know, and not learn a whole lot. Yeah, but you go through 150 innings, you're gonna learn something about pitching, mm-hmm. and that was the whole purpose. Yeah, um, and then went into the next season. They said you're gonna be a reliever, and we want you going in for one inning with your hair on fire and give it everything you've got. And for me, that was it. Just fit who I am as a person, and um, went into high A. Was there for two months. Got called up to Double A San Antonio for a month, and I got called up from there. 
Awesome. So, so you were, you were starting pitcher up until that point. Yep. Okay. <clears throat> yep. And then in effort, I did a little bit of closing, a little bit of starting. They kind of trying to figure out what you're good at. Yeah. <clears throat> and <clears throat> I was able to do a little bit of both. And then, yeah, straight started the following year. And then after that, I've really never started another game. Yeah. So you get the call to the bigs, it sounds like, pretty quickly. Yeah. No, it was fast track. It was a fast track. And um, I never, I remember sitting in a, in a hot tub after a game in Stockton, California, when I was in high A with Eric O'Flaherty. You know, we're just trying to get some blood flow after being sore a little bit. And we're just chatting about, why don't we just get called up to the big leagues? Like, what's <laughs> keeping us? And that's how naive we were, you know, but the Mariners were terrible at the time. And I remember looking at him going, dude, let's do it. Let's do it this year. And then literally a month and a half later, I was there. What about and then him? a month later, he was with okay. me. So he had got called up the same year. So we laugh about that to this day, just how ridiculous it was for us to believe that that was going to happen. But we truly believed that it was going to happen. And, you know, we just put the work in and everything fell into place and everything was perfect. And yeah. Um, just really the story of my whole career, just believing in myself and regardless of what everybody else thought, that's just how I went about it. Yeah. So your first major league game. Yeah. What, what was that like? Butterflies. Um, fortunately, I got in the day that I got called up. So I was in, um, I got called up actually from AA to Tacoma. And I spent the night at a La Quinta in Tacoma and I got a phone call. This is before cell phones, maybe. I don't remember. Maybe I had <laughs> more dial up. But they called, my, they called my room. Okay. And I believe it was Greg Hunter that called me and um, maybe Pat Rice. And they were just telling me to keep on going. Don't even go to the field in Tacoma and go up to Seattle. And <laughs> I'm like, for real? They're like, yep, hop in a cab, go to the field. Everything's taken care of and enjoy it. So pretty crazy moment. Um, everything just happened so fast and got in that night got bases loaded nobody out and somehow got out of it <laughs> yeah i saw that you got the bases loaded and struck out the side yeah well i i struck out i think it was um either omar infante possibly and then i faced pudge he was up and that i threw him a slider guys. and he grounded it out okay right in front of home and i had to turn and get the out at home because i don't want to give up a run in my first game yeah <laughs> And then I think I punched out Maglio Ordonez on a 3-2 slider. Man. <laughs> and then that was my, like that moment and that pitch, 3-2 slider, that was just, it built so much confidence for me just Bases to know from day one yeah. in my career that I can throw a slider in any count. And then I look at the end of my career, and that's really what it ended up being. I was able to just never be out of account because I could throw my slider wherever I wanted to. Yeah. Um, and I would even have veteran guys come up early in my career going, why are you throwing sliders 3-2? And I'd say, well, because I want to do this for a long time. And if I can't do it now, I'm not going to get a chance to later. So I'm going to learn how to do it now. For and sure. it really paved the way for my whole career. And, I mean, major league hitters, you know, in a 3-2 count, they're assuming that maybe a fastball is coming, for right? sure, especially with the bases loaded. Yeah, exactly. So High pressure. Yeah. So you make your first appearance in the big leagues. Um, walk us through those first few years man um well i get i ended up my first 17 and two-thirds were scoreless um i get hurt and i knew i was hurt but things were going so well i remember being in the shower and i can like barely wash the back of my head because my elbow is just 
completely blown up. Oh, um, man. Uh, Jared Washburn looks at me and goes, dude, go get it checked out. And goes, something's not, you can't even wash your hair. Um, but they saw that, like, I was doing so well and that I wanted to be there and I was competing. And eventually, you know, you're a human being and you're going to break down. You know, if, and I was being overused a little bit, but what do you do when you're in the big leagues? And you first get called up and you can't do anything wrong. You know, you're going to keep, you know, hopping on your surfboard and hopefully <laughs> catching the wave. Yeah. And uh, so I went in and I had a, I had chipped some cartilage off my bone and my elbow and it was bone on bone every time I threw. So I had that and Dr. Yoakum did the surgery and came out of it and he goes, you got 20% chance of ever pitching again. And that's what he told me. And once again, for me, that's what I needed to hear. I needed, I needed honesty and that was an honest um, information given to me. But to me, it's like, okay. Well then, let's beat the odds, and that's yeah. the way I just I viewed everything, and um, ended up bouncing back. Two thousand eight, two thousand seven, I didn't pitch a whole lot because I was still coming back from that. Two thousand eight, um, I made the team out of spring, and John McLaren was our manager, and he was a good buddy of mine, and just that point where it was just an up and down year where you're struggling, you're failing. You're doing well. You're struggling. You're failing. You're doing well. That's how it was. And he could see me just playing that game, you know, mentally. And he called me in one day and he just said, you're not going anywhere. He goes, you were going to take this season and you're going to go through the ups and you go through the downs. You need to learn how to deal with it. And that was the greatest thing. One of the greatest things that ever happened to me in my career was having a manager that just said, this is your spot. You're going to do well. You just have to figure it out. And that was a defining moment just for me just to have a manager in the major leagues just saying i've got your back yeah you're not going anywhere you're going to do this yeah and we're here to support you um and i don't know how much of that is in the game today because i think it's a little more cutthroat but back then it was it was a big deal to me and and that made me want to do even better just because somebody was taking everything they've got it showed the confidence in you that's right that's right in uh, 2008, so it looks like you had a career high in games, 57 games, a career high in innings and strikeouts. Um, and then among American League relievers that year, you had a 3.6 ERA at home, which was the sixth lowest ERA by a reliever in the American League. Okay. So it sounds like you had some pretty good success that yeah. year. And that was 2008? Yeah, 2008. Okay. Yeah, because 2009, I think I threw 75 games. Did you? I think so. 2009 was was a pretty good year. Okay. Um, figured a lot of stuff out. I, I never like to say that in the game of baseball because <laughs> the second you think you got it figured out, I figured out stuff for me that worked. I didn't yeah. figure out the game at all because um, you can look at the rest of my stats and see that I didn't have anything figured out. <laughs> um, but it was a good season. Um, I was given the setup role, and I loved it. And I consider myself the eighth inning closer. Okay. Um, Ardsma was our closer that year, and – I would have faced two, three, four, or three, four, five in the eighth inning every night. And then he'd get done and get the save. I go, well, it must have been pretty easy <laughs> facing seven, eight, nine. And that's one thing I've noticed that has changed in the league, um, at least specifically with, with the Mariners, because you have Andres Munoz, who's one of the best pitchers in all of mm -hmm. baseball. And uh, Scott Service really uses him against the best of the order, mm -hmm. the heart of the order. Mm -hmm. So instead of putting him in at, at the ninth because he, he's your best guy, it makes sense to put him in against the best hitters in their yeah. lineup 
that's where Paul Seawald comes in and gets all the, clo- right. the closes. Yeah, because you, I mean, there's moments in the game, and that's just having feel as a manager, knowing that if we don't get through this moment, we're not going to have a chance to close. This the is the, mo- the, that the is moment the right moment. here. And you know what? That's funny you say that because I had um, Lloyd McLennan was our manager in 2015, and I started the year in AAA. I don't think I gave up a run for the first month, and they had to call me up or else release me. And I got I got called up, and everything was going well. And they were trying to find a spot for me to fit in because the bullpen was really good the year before, and they were just trying to get a feel for just understanding that the year is different, and the guys that were having good years weren't having the same year because yeah. that's how it is in a bullpen. You know, you're just it's a coin toss. Mm-hmm. And I remember him calling me in. We were playing Toronto, and they were. Obviously, I was on that team later on that year with Josh Donaldson and Jose Bautista. Man. Just a, a lineup you never wanted to face. <laughs> and uh, he calls me in and he says, hey, just so you know, be ready in like the fourth, the fifth, the sixth. I know you've been pitching later. But if that moment arises in the middle of the game and we feel like the game's on the line, we're going to bring you in. And sure thing, they did it twice in that series. And both times it worked out to our favor. Um, I came in with guys on base and got out of it, and we ended up winning those games. So yeah. there's an art to it. It's just having feel and, and watching enough games and knowing, you know, you're you're riding the hot hand in a bullpen in that moment Yeah, can dictate the outcome of the game. For sure. And that was 2015 that you were just talking yeah, about, the Blue Jays? Yeah. So in 20, 2010, I believe, um, at least the information that I got, um, you were traded to the Rangers yep. along with Cliff, Cliff Lee. Yeah. Um, for Justin Smoke and a couple, a few prospects, and that's when the Rangers were making the run to the playoffs. That's right. So, you know, the moment that you get traded, you know, finding out the details of the trade, what was that moment like? Yeah. Um, and did you expect that to be coming? You know, I had yes and no. I had I was I has just had back surgery, so I'm on the shelf and I'm pretty much done for the year. I had a L5 S1 herniated disc. And I was actually working with a um, physical therapist in Seattle. I wasn't even going to the team. They sent me to another place, Olympic Physical Therapy. And I was working with a gal, and she was just kicking my butt every day. And I was like, I'm not in shape. I thought I was. Um, But it was so good. And I start getting a phone call from my agent. He goes, hey, what would you think about getting traded to the Rangers? I'm like, well, we're in last place right now. Yeah, and the Rangers are in first place. <laughs> and why do we play this game? You know, it's it's to win a World Series. And so he's like, "Would you be happy about it?" I go, "Heck yeah, I'd be happy about it." Who wouldn't be happy about yeah. going to a first place team with a chance to make a run at it in the playoffs? Yeah. And uh, so, sure thing, a couple of days later, you know, I was thrown in that deal, not being expected to pitch that year. It was, "Hey, we're gonna we're getting you for next year and the next year," because I still had, I think, two years of. Um, and before I was a free agent. And I got thrown in there and ended up just rehabbing. And we worked to the World Series. And I ended up pitching the World Series that year. Yeah. Um, so pretty incredible experience. And um, I don't know, I, I had just met my wife in Seattle. <laughs> and then I got traded to Texas. And I was like, well, maybe that was the whole reason I was here. I was going to meet you and then carry on to 12 other teams. Yeah, right. <laughs> along the way. Man. So, so the first time that you pitched for the Rangers mm-hmm. was in the World Series. It was in the World Series. And yeah. which injury were you uh, rehabbing from? That was my back. That was your back yeah, at that time? Yeah, still come back from the back. And it was a pretty heavy um, rehab process as far as games pitched in Arizona. Because I would go to Arizona and do my physical therapy, long toss, bullpens, 
Um, they had other games going on, like their rookie ball. Yeah. So I would throw in those games mm-hmm. just to get my innings, face hitters. Yep. But it was a lot of throwing, and I made it through it. Um, my arm was dead. My back was okay. It was fine. Um, but I had, I had a pretty high tolerance for pain. So like even if I didn't feel great, I felt good enough, and it never really affected me. Um, I guess a quick question. What percentage of the time that you were pitching in the big leagues did you actually feel completely healthy or 100%? Oh, man. And, and you know, what resources do they have? Because, you know, you, you have some soreness in your elbow, your shoulder, yeah. you have dead arm. They're still throwing you out there, or mm-hmm. do they give you a couple days? Like, you know, wh- what does that look like? Yeah, so for me, I mean, 100%, zero. 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 <laughs> I mean, after that elbow injury I had, I just had to understand that my 100% changed. Like, it was never the same as it was before that. And I think that goes with any injury. You just have to understand that the baseline has shifted. Like, it's never going to, you're never going to feel exactly the same. So don't even yeah. search for it. Right. You have to do a lot of different maintenance things Yeah. to be able to to go in and, and be able to do it every single day. And I figured that stuff out for myself. Um, days off were all, if you would walk in and say, I need a day. And I thought that that was a wonderful way to run it because it forces you as a player to go in and do what you need to do and to drop get your ready. ego and yeah. all of your pride and say, you know what? I just can't do it today. And yeah. the team is going to be better off because of it. Um, on the flip side of that, I took Eddie Guardado's spot on the roster and I never ever lost sight of that because that guy was just known for pitching every single day, every day Eddie. That's what they call them. And, to me, I was like, what a great thing to be said about you as a reliever. That your manager just knows that you're going to be available every single day. Because um, then it's like having more than just one player, you know, because not everybody's able to do that. So I made that like my goal as a reliever to be available every single day. And and I figured out stuff um, being in Texas with Joe Nathan, like cold therapy contrast before a game. He got me to start doing it. I never, I never missed really another day after doing that and it was just some kind of just the way the blood flushed and you had lactic acid going it was gone and i'd be down going into games and i'd do that and i'd walk into ron washington's office and say hey man i'm good to go <laughs> and he goes really and he goes what happened man cold therapy man we're good wow so, so that was that was a game changer for me and um really i could tell you from 2011 so when I retired, I might have had two days off. Man. Two days off. Wow. Maybe. Yeah. But I took pride in it, and I loved it. Because those days where I was down, I was not a guy you needed in the bullpen because I was just gone. <laughs> like, mentally, I wasn't there. It was a full day off for me. Okay. So it could have been a little distracting to other players. Yeah. So um, I know cold plunges have become a, a very popular thing nowadays. Is that kind of what you're describing with the, yeah. the cold to hot? Yeah. So we, we would start in hot couple minutes like hot tub yep hot tub and then i would go to cold and joe would hop in the hot and then we just go two minute intervals and so we just switch 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 and then i would always finish in cold um i just felt like it was better for me mm-hmm. and then i go in and hop in a hot shower get ready for the game and head out yeah and i didn't know like i told joe i go i can't finish in cold i can't do this before a game he goes trust me you'll your body's gonna thaw out by the time you get in the eighth <laughs> inning 
um, wakes you up. It yeah, gets no, you. it was, dude, it was a mental grind. It really does something to you mentally and physically. And like, I felt like that was the hardest part of my day. And if I completed the hardest part of my day before I even went in and did my job, um, that's a pretty good day. Yeah, that's funny that you say that because uh, I started doing cold plunge uh, after New Year this year. Yeah. Um, at least during the winter. Now during the summer, it costs a fortune to keep it yeah. cold with just throwing in ice every right. day. But that's th- that's the thing. It's it's the hardest thing you'll do all day. That's right. And if you just get it done the first thing in the morning, everything the rest of your day becomes that much easier. That's exactly right. So. It's yeah. It's it's mental. Are you still doing it then? So we have an ice barrel at home. We don't use it as much as as we should. Yeah. Um, uh, my daughter just had a volleyball tournament down on the Columbia River, and the water was pretty cold. But it was so hot I got in. It's like cold <laughs> water to me. Like it has to be like in the 40s for yeah. it to be cold. Yeah. Because we're just so me and Joe would try to get it down to like 48. It 49. has to suck. <laughs> oh yeah, like pins and needles. Yeah. Um, and we would scream at the top of our lungs. <laughs> and, um, but it, it's it's so valuable, like to the human body and recovery and. Um, it changed my whole career. Yeah. So going back to, uh, you were on a team with Joe Nathan. Mm-hmm. It sounds like you guys were pretty close. Yeah. No, he was, I mean, it's crazy. Like you go through my career and the guys I played with and like watching those guys growing up playing with them on video games. And then you end up, you getting, getting to know them as a person, King Griffey Jr. Another guy. Um, and it's cool to like meet them as a person and just be like, wow, I'm glad that I rooted and enjoyed watching guys that are good people. Yeah. And and I can say that throughout my career, I really played with a lot of good guys. Yeah. Um, I didn't, I couldn't even tell you very many bad dudes at all, which to me is a pretty, pretty cool blessing to have. And there's a lot of different personalities in baseball. Um, yeah, but me and Joe were tight. It was that's kind of what you have to have in a, in a setup and a closer role. Like you want that bond yeah. where you're feeding off each other. The and shake and bake. That's right. That's <laughs> exactly right. Um, and it's just something that happens over yeah. time and you create that friendship and that bond and you're in a cold therapy doing it back and forth every day. You have no yeah. choice. Yeah. So that's awesome. So, uh, 2010, you pitched in, in the world series, yep. 2011, same story. Yep. Yeah. 2011, um, that whole, I'm sure you're aware of, of the World Series there, giving up the home run to David Freeze. That whole situation is like the epitome of my career. Like just everything looks so good on paper. You know, you're, you're on a team every year. You're in the big leagues for, I don't know, six years straight, but still grinding. Every day was a grind in that moment, like really changed um, – the way I viewed everything, because at that point I had put so much pressure on myself to just succeed every single day. And that's not a realistic, I mean, yes, right. you have to have that goal going in, but you're not going to, like you're going to fail. And that moment really freed me from myself and just said, you'll never give up a bigger home run ever in your life. That's the biggest stage. Never again in your life will you experience that. And so it just freed me of just saying, you know, just go play baseball. Yeah. Go play baseball. Go have fun. And results will be, they'll be there, whether they're good or bad. But if you're giving it your best every single day, you can't control any of that. And so it took myself out of the way and it just said, you control what you control. You control being a good teammate. You control coming to the field on time. You control your work ethic. But the second the ball leaves your hand, you have zero control. And that kind of painted the picture for the remainder of my career. 
and that was my mentality from there on out. Now that's way easier said than done. And, you know, was that something internally that you yourself processed or were there outside factors or people that were helping you to be able to get through that and to understand that there's certain things that are out of your control. You can only do what you can do. Yeah. And and then it was a lot internal. I mean, for to this day, I've never watched that game. Um, and I, I mean, I've seen bits and pieces of it, um, but I haven't watched the full game and I don't know when I will, maybe my son and daughter will want to sit down and watch it. But, um, Internally, for two weeks, I mean, I struggled with it. Bad, bad, bad. Because you felt like you let your team down. And then you just start thinking about it. You're like, you know what? In that situation, somebody had to be a losing pitcher. And that just happened to be my night. And I shook to that changeup on 3-2 four times. So I threw the pitch I wanted to. And that helped me go home and look at myself in the mirror going, I did everything I wanted to do. And I just, I got beat. Mm-hmm. I got beat, and that's baseball. When you just have to understand that some days you get beat, and there's another game tomorrow, hopefully. Yeah. You know, in that moment there wasn't, so I had to sit on that. We had game seven. We ended up losing after that. So that I think that's why it was difficult for me because I couldn't redeem myself um, until the following season. But that drove me in my off season. Um, I mean, I was like an animal in the weight room, just getting ready and. You know, 2012 was okay. I was a free agent after that. Um, didn't my mechanics were a little messed up? I don't know. Kind of something that always happened to me. Something always changed, and I had to figure it out. That year, I really couldn't, but I had success. Um, wasn't throwing as hard, so everybody thought I was hurt, and just my mechanics were messed up. Um, but yeah, that was that was a difficult moment. Probably one of the most difficult in my career, but um, powered through it, and you know talking to guys on all the teams I was on. Oh, you're the guy that gave up the home run. <laughs> so that was like the label that some, like that's what they attached to it. Yeah. Some guys, but at the same time, you know, it's the bottom of the 11th inning. Yeah. The team had already lost the lead in the ninth inning. For you sure. know, that's, For sure. that's not, you know, you can't put that on yourself at the end of the day. No. And that's, and that's like the, the game of tug of war I had with myself. Yeah. You know, you try to create all these scenarios of what could have I done different? What, and, it, and I couldn't come up with anything. I couldn't come up with anything at all. Well, maybe I could have thrown a different pitch, but who's to say that one wouldn't have gone over the fence? Right. Um, and if he pops it straight up in the air to the shortstop, I'm never thinking about it again. Right. You know? So you just have all these scenarios that you paint, and and it's like you just can control what you can control. Yeah. And if you're able to let the other stuff go, I mean, baseball will, will beat you down if you let it. And yeah. I just refuse to let that beat me down when I... Use it as a moment to build myself up. Yeah. And before uh, we jumped on camera, we were talking about success and failures mm-hmm. and how maybe it was the success that was even harder for you. Can yeah. You, can you walk us through, you know, what that means and what that looked like? Yeah. Um, you know, I would, failure for me in the big leagues is inevitable. It's going to happen. It's the best players on the planet. And you're competing against the best hitters. And, um, and they're really good. They're really good at what they do. And, I just, um, early in my career, I was doing so well to start and I just kind of found myself being, um, okay with where I was at, you know, because things are going well and you don't really start making changes until you lose and you get beat down and you fail and you're like, all right, this is the game telling me to make changes. And my rule of thumb was like three games. If I, I, I'll give myself one. I didn't do well. 
The second one, I'm like, all right, well, let's hopefully the next one's better. But after the third one, that was always my sign, like, let's break it down. And that way I'm not breaking everything down every time I fail because it's going to happen. Yeah. Um, but three games in a row where it just wasn't right, I would break it down. And, mm-hmm. so, and it was usually just the smallest adjustment ever. It wasn't just or just changing everything. It was the tiniest, tiniest thing. Could be just like more weight on my backside. Yeah. Um, and back then you didn't have any... You had pitching coaches, yeah, but you you couldn't you know fine tune all those small details no, like you can't, might be able to today. The video, I mean, you had side view video, you had the back video of like they had on TV, but so it was a lot on you of you know tweaking small things. You had to go in, you had to get it, yeah, you had to go get it. Um, so and then for me, like success, like I said, you're going if things are going well, and you never really try to make changes when things are going well. You're like I'm just gonna let them sit and keep doing it. Well, eventually that runs out, and the late the later I got in my career, the more I understood that when you're on top, you have to put your foot on the gas and you have to find ways to improve yourself and not wait for the failure to come before you start tweaking and making adjustments. Um, so I found ways to do well, succeed, but also work harder, be more um, specific about what I'm doing, and do more research. Look at my mechanics. Even on two good days, look at them side by side and be like, well, what was different today? Um, and typically there wasn't a whole lot to do, but it's the fact of you're becoming mindful of everything that's going on and just that extra work you're putting in to make sure everything stays lined up. I mean, it just carried carried me a long way. Yeah. Was there a certain like point in time that you remember to where you made those changes? Was it you know early in your career? Was it you know midway through? No, it Any was specific. It was honestly, it was after, after that home run in the World Series. Okay, where I just really, it's, it's like you. It's not that you take for granted the success. It's just that you become used to it, and that's the last thing that I ever wanted to do again. Because the game. I mean, there's so, there's so many more days of not feeling satisfied in in baseball. Um, so you're always fighting against the failure, but you also that feeling of success even if it's the smallest like piece of success, like it feels so good. And I think that's what drove me. Yeah. Um, just for that moment. And I mean, like we talked about earlier, I never felt like I belonged. I never felt like I belonged in the big leagues from day one until my last day. And that was just the way I approached it, that I deserved nothing and I had to earn everything that I got. So, and that's, that was my, my, my mindset every single year that I played. Always the underdog mentality, yeah. and you have to prove yourself every day that That's you're there. Right. Absolutely, and I think that I owed that to my team, um, not only to my teammates, but the team that was, you know, paying me. You know that I'm going to give you my best. I'm going to give you everything I've got. And there were days where I wasn't even close, where <laughs> I felt like I didn't even deserve a paycheck. Um, but that's just being super critical of myself and understanding that's right. not a realistic way to look at it. Um, but that's that's kind of just how I held myself accountable. Yeah. And then, so after Texas, you become a free agent. Mm-hmm. Um, I've always wondered what that free agent process looks like. And, you know, a lot has to do with your agent yeah. and that communication, but you know, how much are you involved in that process? And yeah, I mean, you've got, gosh, at that point I thought after six years of being in the league and having pretty good, pretty good run at it, that it wouldn't be hard to find a job, but I, I could not, you're looking for the guaranteed deal, and there was nothing because I went from throwing, 
95, 97 to that that year leading in, I was like 92, 93, 94. And everybody's going, well, what's going on? My mechanics were messed up. That's all it was. Um, so we're searching for a place we wanted to go. But above all that, we're just looking for a guaranteed contract. And there, it didn't exist. Mm-hmm. And so we ended up going to camp, um, I think, with the Dodgers that year for the first time. And, you know, because I had that six years of major league service, I had an earlier date to take my um, release if I wanted it. And I wasn't going to make the team there. So um, the Angels had nothing that year in their bullpen. And so I signed with them and with a good chance to make the team. And basically Mike Butcher told me, if you got a heartbeat, you're going to make our squad. So, <laughs> and I did, but things were still not right. They still had carried over from 2012 and mechanics were out of whack and um, ended up getting released from there and going to Syracuse um, AAA for the Nationals for the rest of the year. Okay. Um, but still fighting mechanics all year long, just something wasn't right and um, just made no sense. And I think that that's what a, a major league season does to you over time. Your body changes and you have to find those changes. And I think that the stuff they have now, um, to be able to, to manage that stuff, the stretching routines, and I wish I would have had more of that at my fingertips. Yeah. Um, so, yeah. Okay, so you, you're on the Angels, then you go to the Nationals. Next year, you're in Cleveland. Yep. Um, so it looks kind of the same story as it was with the Angels. Yeah, so I, I actually went to camp with um, the Rays that year and had a great spring. I was kind of going to be kind of a utility reliever, like whatever they needed, a long guy. Uh, we had Heath Bell was there. We had Grant Balfour was in the bullpen there. They had some guys they were paying some money, and they were going to make the team no matter what. So even though my spring was better than theirs, it didn't matter. Yeah. Um, and so Joe Madden called me and he's like, Hey, we, we don't have a spot for you right now. Um, but we want to keep you and send you to Durham. And for me, it's like, I don't know, your ego sets in a little bit. Sometimes you're like, well, I just had a great spring. And if this isn't good enough for you, then yeah, then I'm going to go somewhere, somewhere else. Yeah. And that's what I did. And we went to Columbus with the Indians. And I had a little bit of time up there with Cleveland that year. And that year with, with the Rays, all those guys got hurt. And oh, I would man. have been in the big leagues that whole year just about if wow. I would have stuck. Um, but it's hard to go back and look at that because it's information you don't you don't know. Right. And the year we had in Columbus was great for my family and um, a great organization. And so it's like you could always go back and say, well, maybe the baseball side of it could have been better. I would have accumulated more service time and mm-hmm. you know a little bigger paycheck. But um, that moment and Cleveland was wonderful. So yeah. it was just all part of it. And then you, you get back to Seattle and things just clicked at that point. Yeah. Was the mechanics were back to being dialed in? You no, know, when I was with when I was with the Dodgers, I they were really trying to get me to figure it out. And so I had like a one on one bullpen session with Sandy Koufax one day. Man. Which to me I'm <laughs> sitting here and he's like coaching me. I'm like, I'm having a bullpen with Sandy <laughs> Koufax. And he was just tev- telling me to do something that I'd never done before. And it was just kind of like stand really tall and just let your front foot fall out in front of you. And it felt weird at the time. But that offseason leading into 2015, that's all I did. I just started throwing my bullpens like that. And my body just was able to find it. And I started throwing hard again. And I didn't change anything. I mean, my workouts were pretty close to the same. 
Um, I did do nothing but TRX that off season. I didn't lift a single weight and I did all body weight stuff, yeah. but TRX, I mean, you're getting in positions with your body that you've probably never been in because you have to ton of core work. Um, you're, you're stretching while you're working out mm -hmm. and you don't realize it because you're yeah. using your muscles to do these, um, exercises. And so that could have been part of it too. Like I was just gaining some flexibility in areas where I needed it. And I went into 2015 and I, that was a full season of not being able to do anything wrong. I could have tried to do something wrong. It just wouldn't have happened. <laughs> yeah. And those seasons just don't happen. Yeah. Not at the highest level and um, pretty incredible. And what was it like to be back in Seattle, coming, kind of coming full circle? You, you know, Seattle's always home for me. You know, as a team that – any team that drafts you and takes a chance on you and the relationships I had within the front office and uh, the training staff, like it – it's it was special and it still is special to this day. I mean, I went back two weeks ago to throw out the first pitch, and there's just this mutual respect of just enjoying working with people that are good people, and that's the whole Mariners organization to me. Um, so always going back there, it's like I need a spot to go. Let's call Seattle. And they're like, all right, let's go. Let's give it a shot. Yeah. So and then I go there and I get traded every time. But <laughs> yeah, right. <laughs> So you get traded, uh, yeah, to Toronto, yep. and that's when you make the playoff run with them. So, kind of walk me through that experience as well. Yeah. It's a bit different from 2011, 2012. That's right. So yeah, so now I'm I'm healthy and like I can't do anything wrong and body feels great. Um, and I get traded there, and it's then they hadn't they hadn't been to the playoffs in 20 years up to that point. Yeah. And, up to last year, even. Yeah, <laughs> and you walk in and. You know, they tra traded for a bunch of guys at that time. I think Tulowitzki came over at that deal, Latroy Hawkins, Ben Revere, myself. Um, yeah, I think there's another Are one. Are you talking there. Toronto hasn't been in the playoffs Toronto for 20 years it. at that Toronto point? Had, oh, wow, okay. Yeah. Gotcha. Um, and so that city was just on fire. Yeah. Like, I would walk. It was the first time in my entire career where I kind of, like, I took pride in, like, being around as long as I did, but nobody knew who I was. Like it. That's hard to do. You could walk down the street. I could walk and anywhere. Yeah. And everybody's like, well, how do you do that? I was like, well, you have to be good, but then you also have to be really bad at times too. <laughs> yeah. And people forget about you. <laughs> um, but I like that I could go anywhere and just kind of blend in. And that's just kind of how my personality is anyway. Yeah. Um, but there, like you'd walk down the street and you'd have everybody that walks past you and just say, hey, good job last night. And they just keep walking. And they're like, well, that's cool. <laughs> that, yeah. like, that interaction was wonderful that like, they just viewed you as a human being and like yeah they're thankful for respected you yeah. yeah and so maybe that's the canadian way i don't know <laughs> and so and it happened job, every eh? day it's like you go to starbucks and they give you your starbucks and say hey good job last night good luck tonight yeah that's cool so that was cool like the fans there were so animated and just loved yeah the fact that that we had a good team and we sold out the second we all got traded we sold every game out from there on out yeah so the rogers center with the packed house was pretty pretty special yeah so yeah after that um toronto you pitch in the pitch in the playoffs there then you end up in detroit for your final year in 2016 yep yeah um got, got a two-year deal to go to detroit and i don't even know how i passed my physical but i did my arm was just because what i in well, 2015 i'm i'm doing so well where just being down the road that I've been, those moments where I, if I can go out and grab success every single day, I wanted to go get it. 
And once again, like I, I would tell Gibby, I'd say, I'm good. I'm good to go. And I was good to go. I, when I'm pitching, I felt great. Um, and I'd have to do my contrast, you know, before the games and get feeling good again. Mm-hmm. Um, but in those moments, you just want to be in there. And I probably pushed myself too far. I never got hurt, but it, I think the fatigue from that full year of just throwing, I think I was almost on the mound almost 30 days in a row Man. down the stretch, either in a game or up in the bullpen once or twice. And, you know, and they always ask you, how are you doing? Well, of course I'm good. We're in the playoff run. Let's go. Um, but I think it had an effect on me in 2016. And even though my arm felt good, maybe it wasn't as good as I thought. And your body tries to adjust to make it be more useful and keep yourself from getting hurt. And there was a couple things just off and just couldn't figure it out. Um, that one was painful for me because I felt like that was the biggest investment a team had ever made in me and that's something you search for your whole career is to get a two-year deal and and get a nice paycheck and and i got that but i didn't perform and it it really it hurt me a lot um just to not be able to provide that for a team that took a chance on you like that and and we had a great great clubhouse and great players on that team and there's a lot of guys in that boat and that just they brought us over and none of us really did well and we all kind of felt that together, and um, but that's baseball. You know, you can't you can't pinpoint anything. You can't predict what's going to happen, and yeah, we we're all doing our best. It just didn't work out. Yeah. So, kind of working into you know the final parts of your career. What what did that look like? You know, after Detroit, um, I believe you had gone to spring training with the Dodgers again. Yeah, 2018, I was with the Dodgers. Um, I got let go. I came here back to Vancouver and played in the wood bat league and okay. dominated. That's when you were facing us. Gotcha. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Dominated, felt good and <laughs> build my confidence. Um, and then 2019, um, I'm training all spring and I end up going to play indie ball back where I grew up in okay. Sugarland and slept in the same bed I grew up in. And it just got tough. Um, just having a family and, and being away from them and making 300, 400 bucks every two weeks. And just knowing that those bad games really magnified big time. Cause it's like, you're having a bad game in indie ball and the writing's just on the wall. And there was a lot of bad games. And, um, I was throwing in, I think we were, oh, where's my last game at? We were on the road somewhere, Pennsylvania somewhere. And, I'm throwing in my third inning and just felt a little twinge in my arm. It wasn't bad, but enough to like catch my, I've never felt it before. So called the trainer out and I was like, I'm just want to play it safe. And it, it was like a two week thing and I'm sitting on the shelf for two weeks in any ball. And I was like, you know what, what am I gaining out of this? Mm-hmm. It's the fact that for me to be able to make it all the way back to the big leagues at that point was like a shot in the dark. Mm-hmm. Like it's just not going to happen. So um, my family was missing me. My wife was going through a couple little health things that um, are all squared away now. And um, it was just difficult. But it was a choice that I was ready to make and happy to make and came home and just was be able to be present with my family really for the first time. Shift into the next phase That's of, right. of life. That's right. Yeah. And it's, you know, that phase of your life is going to be, it's going to last forever right. if you play 
do it the right way and and that was my goal and my family was paying the price for me being away and and it was a great career up to that point and nothing that i would ever change so absolutely so uh was vancouver your home base for a while yeah so we moved here from arizona in 2011 okay and then i think we rented a house um in philida and bought property in ridgefield and built a house on it and yeah when i got traded to toronto my wife moved in okay yeah so i was able to be in seattle and come back and forth like on days off that's nice um to the house and check on it and and right when she moved in i think i was still in um in seattle i would come back on off days and be able to see it and yeah yeah and now we're sitting here in in your next project yeah uh do you want to walk us through kind of what you're doing here and yeah no i fell into a a batting cage slash training (laughs) facility slash private lessons and um yeah so it's the swing shop and it's going to be we're changing the name we're rebranding down the road and we're kind of waiting on that just to make it not confusing for everybody um but just trying to get the whole community to come in and give good instruction um and it's not just the physical but it's the mental too i have quite a few conversations on the mental side of everything which to me is the hardest part in baseball. Yeah. Um, but just a place where teams are working out. I'm getting private lessons on the side, and I'm um, planning to do some hit tracks leagues and do some fun stuff for the kids. Yeah. So. And we were talking earlier, um, kind of getting into, you know, technology, and then also just the younger kids nowadays. Yeah. Um, as I described, uh, the Mariners director of amateur scouting, Scott Hunter, he was talking before this draft about how there was just so much talent stacked in this draft because of COVID, you know, the players that would have been drafted out of high school, they were delayed instead of, and the draft went from 40 rounds to five rounds that year. Mm -hmm. So those players were forced to go to a a four year university. Three years later, here we are. And then on top of that, the high school players nowadays are just more mature and have better talent because all the technologies that have come out recently, now pitchers are throwing harder. They have more spin on their curveballs and whatnot makes the hitters better in turn. And yeah. so now just everyone across the board seems to be better. So yeah. I guess, what have, what have, have you seen any of that insight there? Yeah, and no, I, I have kids come through here and they're way beyond where I was at their age. Have you seen Noble Meyer in here? No, I haven't. Okay. No, he I think he was with Northwest Futures and so they have their own private okay. facility. Um, but just, I had a high school kid come in here right when I got my doors open and I was just blown away. He's got the machine cranked up to like 95 and hitter. I'm like, yeah, yeah. And he's like 16 years old. And I just can't even fathom that when I was 16 and even 11, I get a lot of 11 and 12 year olds that come in here that are just hungry to play baseball. And I think COVID has a lot to do with it. Um, but the information they're gaining with the hit tracks and the rap Soto and everything they do is instant. They can attach a number to it. Yeah. And I think when you're able to do that, numbers speak volumes um, on what you're doing, what you're doing right or what you could be doing wrong. Um, just the technology in general. I mean, it's it's an awesome time to be a baseball player Yeah. Um, and have all that stuff. And I kind of doing my best to provide all that information for kids because if, if that's the driving force at the highest level, then it should be available to the younger kids, the younger generation, so that by the time they get there, um, they've already got a grasp on all that and it's only going to make them better. 
Yeah. Um, so that's kind of my whole thing in here is just create a culture that kids want to be in here. And it's, it's shifted from when I was a kid at age 11 going to a batting cage, <laughs> you know, getting the yellow dimple ball thrown at you. The machine <laughs> says 80, but it's like 100. Jeez, yeah. And you can't even see it. Um, but just making it fun for them, having them a chance, give them a chance to compete um, with the hit tracks and, um, and want to be here and look forward to being here and setting aside other things that they might have planned but saying no it's so fun in here that they want to be here yeah and that's my goal and it sounds like you have a, a game that you're setting up yeah so it's on tournament. it's on hit tracks um the kids can create their own leagues basically they have you get four or five buddies and they create their own team okay and then another four or five kids in the same age group they come in and they play on hit tracks and you can pick whatever ballpark they want to play at you can go Fenway Park yeah, or Wrigley cool. and then put in what age they are and then it moves the fences in yeah and that's why they have these computerized players and it's reading how hard they're hitting it uh, launch angle exit velocity and it shows the vector line of where the ball would have gone yeah and so they can have an at bat off of a machine and it's a base hit next kid gets in and then it yeah. saves all of their swings um, you create accounts for all of them so they can go back and like put two swings next to each other and say this was a great one this one wasn't so good, and you can frame by frame go, yeah, and then see kind of where the swing got lost. So then, do they play like a season to where? Yeah, so it's like six weeks, okay. six or seven weeks, and then the last week will be playoffs. And I've talked about doing like a home run derby, yeah, you know, like a little all star week. Um, That'd be cool. But yeah, it's um, we're gonna see how it goes. I think that this winter the kids will be looking for something like that, and yeah. Um, just want to provide that and see see what kind of changes and improvements we can make on it. Have you seen the uh, pitching machines to where it's like a full LED to where it's like you can put any player on there, it'll shift the oh, yeah. slot of the... Oh, yeah. You can put any pitch in. Yeah, I saw that. They're only, what, $15,000? Only 15000 yeah. <laughs> so How many was, sessions I would was, it take to recoup that? I was looking at it, and I was like, no, I'm not, I'm yeah. not looking to spend that yet. But, yeah. So I've just got... I thought about doing for the older kids one night... Um, going in there and throwing behind an L screen and yeah. I could pitch yeah. and I could read their, their swings and just kind of find that speed that is probably what they're looking for. And then just be able to mix in breaking balls and change ups yeah. and fastballs up. And cause it keeps track of the strike zone and everything. And it'll tell you if it's a striker ball, there's no argument. Yeah. Um, and just do like a night where it's like that and just kind of, Give them a different look than just the machine running through and yeah. throwing strikes down the middle every time. Yeah. So you're a fastball slider uh, circle change? Uh, or split? Kind of. No, it's just a change. My thumb, I just kind of moved underneath. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. Fastball slider change. I ended up throwing a cutter towards probably 2015. It was a cutter, but it turned into my slider. So the same slider I threw my whole career was gone. <laughs> um, remember asking Dominique Leon how he threw his cutter? And he showed me, and it ended up being my slider. Okay. Um, so just another another story in my career where it's like Dominique had maybe less than a year in the major leagues at that time, and I'm tossing him a ball with almost eight years under my belt going, hey, how do you hold that? Yeah. You know, and just always looking to learn and improve because it's – I mean, he's still playing right now. But his cutter's nasty. Yeah. And I wanted that. I wanted to add that to, to my game and ends up being the best slider I ever had. Awesome. Um, so let's see here. So kind of going back to when you made your, your change in delivery, um, 
I saw on one of your Instagram posts that Mel Stoudemire told you to perfect pitching out of the stretch and that, you know, from that time where he, he, he told you that, that you hadn't thrown a pitch out of the windup since that day. Yeah. Um, was that the change that you had made or is, so that, is that was, part of it? Yeah, that was a conversation that we had and that was in 2008. When, okay, that was 2008. When I had um, McLaren just tell me, hey man, you're not going anywhere. Just, we'll go through it. Yeah. And and Mel pulled me aside one day after a game that didn't go so well. And I had a tendency to just let the leadoff guy get on. And it's because I was going out of the windup. And he goes, they're looking at the numbers. They're going, you, whenever that first guy gets on, typically they're going to score more times than not. And he just asked me, he said, how many, how many games are you going to start in the major leagues? And I go, I don't know, Mel. He <laughs> goes, your answer is zero. You're never going to start a game. You're a reliever. Mm-hmm. And he goes, you're going to make all your money pitching out of the stretch. You're going to come in with guys on base, learn how to perfect that instead of being just kind of in the middle on both. Yeah. He goes, perfect the stretch and learn how to throw your best out of the stretch. And at that moment, like it just a light bulb went on. And I was like, you know what? That makes a lot of sense. And found out a way to do that and work out of the slide step, but throw just as hard as I would with a huge leg kick. Um, and it... And that's the weird thing about baseball is if if you can figure something out, if you just force yourself to do it, because yeah. naturally you're going to do it. You're a competitor. And that was a moment for me that um, it changed. It changed a lot of my career, for sure. Yeah. And then I believe it was also 2008 when you uh, hit in a locker to pie JJ puts. <laughs> yeah. Oh, yeah. So did he come back from the IL? and? Yeah, he was hurt. <laughs> and I forget what it was, but. So he um, he was a prankster. Okay. He he let everybody have it pretty good. Yeah. And I was always that guy, um, up until the major leagues because you're you're earning your stripes. I mean, I I remember getting called up and just not even talking, just putting my head down and doing my work. And yeah. And I think veteran players respect that. Um, I don't know what it's like today, but it's a lot different culture when I was coming up than what they're dealing with now. It was you couldn't sit on a couch for probably two years your first two years you couldn't you had to wait for all the veteran guys to go eat their food before you even went into the lunchroom and it was just a sense of respect but that was easy for me because these are guys that I watched growing up and it's yeah I didn't belong I felt like in my mind I didn't belong so of course go ahead I'll I'll get the scraps when you're all done um but yeah so he was just a prankster and give everybody a hard time and I just on a whim hitting his locker because i watched that interview after the game and you know he's standing in the dugout doing the post-game interview and he's like looking over his shoulder all the time and then finally he gets into his locker and then you come with a pie (laughs) yeah yeah i forgot about that he's he was fun he was a fun teammate he was actually my throwing partner okay um and were you the setup guy for him no not right out of the gates it was um I was more seventh inning, sixth, seventh yeah. inning when I first got called up. Um, yeah, but learned a lot from him. I mean, my biggest thing I learned from him was he just says, have a plan every day when you come in. And that he got from Eddie Gordado is if you don't come into the field with a plan, you'll never get it done. Um, so I always had to have this list of things that I, I knew I was going to get done every single day. And if I didn't have that plan in my head, I was kind of lost. So I would drive into the field with this plan in my head going, I'm going to accomplish this today. Yeah. And that stuck with me for my whole career. Mm-hmm. And then looking at 
the game, you know, back then versus today? Um, I know we've talked about some of the differences, but are there any like big differences that you that you see in the game how it's played? Um, way more fastballs up. Okay. Um, and that was, and I was still playing when that became a big part of the game. I remember being with the Tampa Bay in spring training, and they would call every player in, all the coaches, and they would have a sit down with your skills. And go. This is what we think you're really good at. So let's maximize that. And this was the beginning of the Statcast, where they're finally crunching all the numbers. And Joe Madden was super um, proactive and just ahead of the game and all that yeah. stuff. Saber metrics and they showed me like a strike zone and all the pitches that I would throw up in the zone. Um, he said, if you could live here, you're gonna have a good career from here on out. Nobody hits this ball, and it was ridiculous numbers. But when I'm pitching, when I would go up in the zone, those were on accident. You know, just I had a good spin rate, and so naturally some of them I just wouldn't yeah. get out in front, and they would rise to the top of the zone. And I never really practiced that because I was always down and away because you were coming up. It was down and away, down and away, down and away, down and away, up and in for show. Mm-hmm. And it just never was part of my game. Um, so it's pretty cool to see, like, these guys now, the catcher just sits right here, and they just hit it top of the zone. Nobody yeah. can catch up to it. And because, uh, awesome. yeah, so like Bryce Miller on, on the Mariners, he has yeah. a super high efficiency on his yeah. fastball on top of having super high spin rate. Yeah. And so the fastball at the top of the zone, like guys aren't able to catch up to it for that reason. That's right. Um, even if he's only throwing 93 on a certain day because of just how it plays versus like Kyle Hendricks, yeah. who has a lower spin rate, mm-hmm. and him throwing the fastball at the bottom of the zone because it's dropping more than a hitter thinks, so they're going to swing over versus that's Bryce right. Miller, they're going to swing under the ball. That's right. So that's, yeah, really. It's just knowing that's where those numbers come in and just having those numbers and knowing what you're good at. So, like, Um, 2015 was the first time that you saw, like, hey, I have a spin rate of X. That was, yeah, I mean, that was 2000. Because I think it was uh, 2014. Okay. I was with Tampa, but I didn't, all that, we didn't have those numbers yet. Yeah. Um, But even in 2015, when they did have the numbers, I mean, I wasn't using it. Yeah. I was, I don't know, we would have all these meetings, you know, hitters' meetings, and go, here's who we're facing, this is what we've got going on. Yeah. And I would just kind of walk out of there and go, do what you're good at, guys. Like, yeah. if my outs are down and away, I'm going down and away. I don't care who's in the box. I don't care if yeah. it's Miguel Cabrera, because if I hit my down and away, that's an out. And if he gets a base hit, it's a single, and he's not going anywhere off first base. Yeah. You know, he's going to clog the bases. So, <laughs> um, I don't know. But that that up in the zone, there's so much value. Yeah. And, I mean, you're seeing the results of it. All yeah. the strikeouts. Was there a certain at-bat um, or a player that you went up against to where you were like, oh, my gosh, this is happening right now? Yeah, quite a few. Um, <laughs> Jim Tomey was Jim one. Tomey. I liked facing him. Um, Frank Thomas. Frank Thomas. Yeah. <laughs> the big hurt. Gosh, yeah. I mean, you could go down the list. Manny Ramirez, David Ortiz, all those guys. I mean, Derek Jeter. I mean, the Yankees back when I was growing up were just studs. So mm-hmm. I went in. My first win was at the old Yankee Stadium. And Bernie Williams, Jorge Posada, you know, even A-Rod at the time was, yeah. like, at the top of his. Was Mark Teixeira on that yeah, team? Yeah, Mark Teixeira. Yeah. Um, just ridiculous. Bobby Abreu, having to face him all the time, being in the AL West. That was when we only had four teams, so we're facing the same teams yeah. almost 20 times a year. Wow. Okay. Yeah, Garrett Anderson and just just studs all the way through and but that era of baseball was so fun yeah so fun for me to watch growing up but then also to play against guys like that 
yeah pretty special that's awesome well um it's been awesome i really appreciate the time that you've given me today and it's i just love to hear you know stories so i really appreciate your time and looking forward to seeing what you do here at yeah. the swing shop and um i hope i'll have to come here for one of those tournaments and see how that yeah maybe step in the box one Absolutely. once or twice we need to get you in there yeah for sure well, i appreciate you having me on here and um i'm gonna be a couch gm too <laughs> there we go everyone <laughs> is you can be a couch gm yeah well thank you yep you got it